this past weekend, uh, I was in northwest Arkansas, and um, Anna and I went there. Uh, one thing that we were doing was going to Emily Poteet's wedding, um, which was fun, enjoyable just to see that. She, we had prayed for her for some time. Many of you probably had that God would send somebody in her life and, and that she would um, uh, she, she longed to be married and God has provided that. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, we, since we were up there in Bentonville, I was close to Rogers, Arkansas. Most of you probably know where that is, south of Bentonville. And uh, there's a friend of mine who's 91 years old uh, that I have known all my life, not necessarily always personally, but I grew up hearing him uh, preach, and I've mentioned, I think, that to you before. Uh, my parents received cassette tapes from the church where he was serving uh, for many years. I think they probably had like three or 400 cassette tapes um, at one time, and uh, he was the first person that I ever heard like preach the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so I grew up hearing my mom while she was getting ready, listening to his tapes. And, uh, and, and there was just, a, a, you know, something about it that was very powerful. When I went uh, to school uh, up at University of Arkansas for a period of time, I actually started listening to his tapes some. And uh, it was during that time that I would listen to his tapes and then I would like preach back to myself kind of what he had just preached. It was very strange. People driving by would have thought, what is this guy doing? Uh, and it was kind of in that that God was like confirming maybe some desires to proclaim his truth. And so that was going on. And then I met with him. He was like in his 70s then, I guess. And he had started uh, helping this church. And he did a four-year interim with them. And it was uh, really interesting. But I, I remember sitting down for the very first time uh, in a service where he was preaching and I heard preaching all my life, grew up in the church, but I sat there and I heard uh, a 45-minute expository sermon. And in, in, as I heard it, for the very first time, I thought, these things are not only true, they can be understood. People can read their Bibles and know them. And uh, you can expose and unleash God's Word in such a way that the people are fed and I'd never really sat in a service like that. I, I, I'd spent my, really, a lot of my, not, not that there were bad preachers around that I was around, but it was just I'd never sat there and my jaw, like, dropped as a result of the truth that was just bombarding me. And so it kind of convinced me in that one service that if you ever were going to preach anything, that's what you'd have to do. Just preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, and just tell the people, help them see what the Word says. Another thing I will say about that is one of the things about this guy's life was that, I mean, surely he, sure, he was known. There were things that really kind of promoted his name at some level, but he was not about self-promotion. He was a guy that I felt like was hidden behind the cross, hidden behind the pulpit, and the Word, the Word was at the center, not Him. And uh, that is uh, rare to find. I think John the Baptist embodies that. I think really for us today, we should say Jesus is preeminent and we are certainly secondary. And, and we should be in every aspect of our lives. We should want Him to be made known 
he must increase and we must decrease. And that should be the pattern uh, that we follow all of our lives. And we're going to see why that would be the case. Um, We as a church should be centered on self-forgetfulness. We should not be seeking to make our name great, but his. And Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We should make Jesus, again, preeminent in our minds, in the minds, in, in the hearts of our church. Our, our, our church should like, should overflow with that. Christ's name being central. Okay, so let's think about the framework real quick where we've been in John. The purpose of John's gospel is found, we said in John 20, 30, 31, He said, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then if you remember, in 119 through 1024, we're going to say these things that were written in 119 through 1042, sorry, is is like Jesus disclosing himself in word and deed. And we are looking right now in 2, 3, and 4, his early ministry, and you see these signs and words uh, and works on display. And so that's kind of where we are in the structure. We're saying Jesus is displaying himself in word and deed. And we right now are looking at that really in his early ministry form. And we're seeing that kind of unfold in 2, 3, and 4. And what you see is, and I thought this was a good way. One author said, the old is gone, the new has come. And in chapters 2, 3, and 4, the old is gone, the new has come. And that's what we're looking at in the present. We are seeing that Jesus fulfills and surpasses like Judaism. And he puts that on display by showing uh, first that the, the old water purification thing is replaced by this new wine of the kingdom. You saw the temple structure and all that it, 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 it was its proper fulfillment. Is going to be uh, in its ultimate point is pointing to Jesus as the ultimate mediator between God and man. In chapter three, we see that water and spirit regeneration discussion, which is p- picking up for us that um, really kind of all those prophecies are now finding their fulfillment, and God's people are going to be uh, born again. And um, it it really kind of points to this ultimate picture of the snake being lifted up in the desert. Jesus is now the one that's going to be lifted up before the people and salvation will come in him. And then if there's any question in 322 through 30 today, uh, we'll see Jesus surpass John the Baptist. And any kind of thoughts about this rite of purification and baptism of John, we're seeing Jesus, he is going to transcend uh, John the Baptist. So each way uh, or each step along the way, we're seeing how he is greater than. And then when you go to chapter four, we're going to see that even further that Jesus is the one that ultimately all these things are pointing to. He trumps them all, fulfills them all, and we see that on display. Okay. Now John three twenty two. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside, and he remained there. Uh, with them and was baptizing. So, you know, remember Jesus left the northern region. He went down to Jerusalem. He spent some time there. Uh, and, and, and he was there during uh, the, uh, this, this time where he's going to go in and cleanse the temple at Passover. And then he meets evidently with Nicodemus. And then we see him uh, going out into the kind of the, uh, I guess you could say, um, he was going out to the rural areas. Uh, and, and he's going about doing kind of what John's doing. I mean, there, there's a lot of like, I guess you could say some overlap between uh, the two. Um, 
Now, one thing just kind of important to say is like Jesus, in 4.2 of this chapter here, Jesus is not actually doing the baptizing himself, but his disciples were. And so uh, I think that's something that we want to, to note here. Also, in the context, I think we should see this as a water baptism akin to John's baptism. It, it may be not pointing to the one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that will come later. And uh, I just want you to mark that in your Bible. You could just say uh, there's a baptism coming later or the baptism of the Spirit coming later. And you see that uh, he speaking, uh, John was speaking of Jesus, talking about him baptizing with the Holy Spirit. There's another time in one of the other Gospels where he talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And John 7, this is something I would kind of just mark there. John 7, 37 through 39. There, there's, there's a place there. Where you see Jesus cry out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been been given until he was glorified. So you just kind of know that. I think these baptisms here that they're doing are all this kind of preparation for the coming of the kingdom. And, and, and these are both taking place. Uh, John's baptism was kind of a sign of people getting themselves cleaned up for the coming of the king. In preparation for the king. So verse 23 and 24, you see John is out baptizing also. And people are coming to him uh, and, and, and being baptized. Uh, because at this point, John had not been put into prison. If you go to Mark 1.14, you would find out that Mark just starts with John being kind of, he's going to just be put into prison, but evidently John's going to go back even further and say there was a time where both of them were out doing ministry. Verse 25, now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. This is not the first interaction that happens. John is confronted by the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, and they're, they've been asking about, like, what authority do you have to go and to do what you're doing? And they've asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you this? Are you that? Because they're thinking like he's this end time prophet that is to come. And what's happening is going or what's going on is like now they're coming and saying, OK, um, let's talk about this issue of purification uh, and this was, we talked about that before, but the Jews had this kind of r- ritual washing uh, that was being done. And so they may be asking about some of those things. This discussion kind of is taking place. And um, I think it's important as you go to verse 26, it probably is one of those things that like as they are being kind of confronted by the religious leaders, then they begin to ask, well, what, what about Jesus, John? Like, what's he doing? Now he's doing the same kinds of things that you're doing. Who is he and what's taking place? And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, what are they struggling with here? Uh, you know, I think at the heart oftentimes uh, of man, if you look at man and you see them, you could have kind of this idea, kind of a resentment. Why, why is he getting pressed? Why are people starting to go to him? What's taking place here? We know you bore witness about it, but what, what's going on here, John? Uh, explain this to us. If John were in business, they might be looking at Jesus as a competitor. Like, what, why is his, his kind of work going better? 
And I, I think maybe there's some aspect of that. I mean, there, that happens even in, in the church world, even now. Like sometimes you'll say people will be kind of looking and comparing ministries and trying to decide like what's happening here or there or whatever. But I think they may have just been struggling at some level um, with that. And I think that's a very real struggle. They're, they're asking, they said, we know what you said about him, but, but, but what's going on here? And I think John's answer proves out that they must be struggling at some level with, with, with some things in their hearts that they shouldn't have. So, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Now, have you ever met somebody that considered themselves a self-made man? Or other people might have thought of them in that way? You know, kind of one of those things, I was reading about uh, J.C. Penney's the other day, and that, that may, I was reading about the founder, I can't remember his first name, but the founder of that place or whatever. And But sometimes it's like one of those things where you're kind of, people begin to, to almost think... Um, that 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 the things that they've accomplished like came as a result of them and john is saying no one receives anything unless it is given from heaven this kind of captain of your own ship is not really a reality john says if you really understand someone's personality intellect passions upbringing is a result, a result of god's good gifts the historical, geographical, cultural time and place that he finds himself in, who placed him there? God. So that every aspect, if we go back through and factor it all in, we say, we can't really boast. God's, God made us who we are, placed us where we are, has given us what he's given us, and we just have to kind of receive that as a gift. Every good thing comes from above. Um, for John the Baptist, I think he, he, he had saw the gift that he had been given. And it was a very short-lived ministry, right? It's not like he'd had a long time doing those things. And, and, but he didn't want to hold on to it. I mean, that's kind of what happens sometimes. You want to, we want to grip it and hold on to it. And, and, and so he, that's not the case here. He sees this as a great gift that he gets to announce the Messiah. One author said, For John the Baptist to have wished he were someone else called to serve in a way many, many would uh, judge more prominent, would simply be covetous of, by another name. If the person he envied were the Messiah himself, he would have been annulling the excellent ministry God had given him. Deep discontent over God's wise, sovereign disposition of people and things would in that instance betray not only uh, unbelief and faithlessness, but the worst form of perennial human sin, the arrogant that wants to be God and stand where God stands. I think this picture here of John is that he can, he can see. He can see who Jesus is. He can see what God is doing. And he can see his place within salvation history. And he embraces that particular place. And I think all of us need to trust in God, his power, his wisdom, and his provision, knowing that he is bringing about his plan. In, in our lives, and I think John sees that. Verse 28, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He'd always made that clear. Always made that clear. 
it's one of those things even you'll see Jesus speak of John in such a high way because John, again, manifests in his life this humility that, that is, is, is very powerful. He said of Jesus, I am unworthy to even untie his sandals. And I, I think sometimes, like again, like churches, Christian leaders, people, family members, all of us, I mean, there's a, you can have that tendency to you want to be exalted, like you want to be great. You want to be the one. Why, why don't people listen to me? What are people thinking about me? Why aren't people not talking about me? And I think we see here an example of one who sees who really should be honored. People love, even John, I mean, you could see John the Baptist like people, they, they, people love to attach themselves to someone and you see even here, John the Baptist saying, you don't know, attaching yourself to me is missing the point. He's already been sending his disciples towards Jesus. But you'll see that. I mean, you, you guys, if, if you've been around very long, even in Christian, the Christian world, people will be like, oh, aren't, aren't they great? Aren't they great? They love to grab somebody that's some Christian leader and say, aren't they great? It, it's, it's this dangerous thing. He says, no, I am not the one. I am not the one. I, have, I am not the one. He's already pointed that out. Now, verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. The, the, the friend of the bridegroom is like the best man. He, he, that's kind of what he's like. He, he, and he kind of had the role in, in, in a Judean kind of wedding uh, to, to, to get, make sure all the details came together, were organized and ready. And John's had that ministry in Jesus. Like he's preparing the way. He's saying, listen... Let's make sure we're ready. The king's coming on the scenes. Get ready. And so he's a herald of that. He's calling the people, get, get yourself cleaned up. Get ready to prepare to meet the king. And you'll notice here, he, uh, and, and you'll see that throughout the Old Testament, where Israel is depicted as the bride of the Lord. He says, like, this is not my bride. You could look at the disciples or all those following and say, uh, y'all are not mine. You're his, just pointing you to him. Just getting everybody to show up and get ready. Say, bride, get ready, get prepared to meet your husband. I think that's, um, I think it's really powerful because I think even John, the evangelist John, would understand how important that tie between Christ and his bride, how, how that was. But even in John's gospel, I think it's really, really helpful. In John's gospel, John will say, he'll speak and he'll like quote Jesus and stuff where Jesus will say, uh, my father has given them to me. My father's given me the bride. Or he'll, he'll speak, speak of Jesus being the great shepherd and Jesus saying, uh, my sheep hear my voice. My true sheep hear my voice and they come to me. It, it, you're, you're, it, there, there's, and, and nobody's going to take them away. It's all this language of Christ coming, 
to die and give his life for his bride. And all John is doing is saying, hey, bride, he's coming. He, he, he's here. Cl- get cleaned up. Prepare yourself. He, he's there. And I mean, in some ways, too, I think it's some of our role with one another and, and even my role at times to speak to you and say, listen, he's coming again. Get yourself straight. Walk in the ways of the Lord. Live in such a way that would bring honor and glory to his name. Prepare yourself for your husband. And and I think that's something of the ministry that we are called to. And John says this this is where ultimate satisfaction and joy come for me. That God has, that I've been able to fulfill that role. As a, as a forerunner of the Messiah. And my ministry has been successful. I've been pointing out who Jesus is. And I've now pronounced that to you. Verse 30. He must increase and I must decrease. Jesus, unlike the religious leaders in Jesus' day, have no pro- you know, I mean, I'm sorry. John, unlike the religious leaders in Jesus' day, had no problem in laying aside his position. To point to the Christ. This really, I think, reveals the heart of John. Um, man, I, what a dangerous thing to want to be like me to, to, or, or you or whatever, to want to make your name more great than Jesus. And I'm telling you, that's, that is a dangerous thing because listen to me, people... People love to have something physical, something earthly that they can tie themselves to. And, and, and that's, that's a real, all of us would, would struggle with that at times when we have to understand that. I, I, I was, um, Ann and I were talking the other day about how, like when a mother is home all day with her children, uh, she becomes like just no big deal a lot of times. Because she's there all the time and she handles all the little things and she does this and does that. And so she's like, not that big a deal. But when daddy comes home at my house, he hasn't been there all day. And he hasn't been disciplining all day. And he hasn't been doing all this stuff all day. And so when dad comes home, it's like, dad's here, dad's here. That's how it is in our house. It's it's so like, it's a it's a big deal. And so... Even during the week, we'll ask, when, it, when, is, uh, when is your day off, Dad? When's your day? Is, it, is, is tomorrow your day off? And so he's asking about all those things. And, and I think even as dads, and I, and I really kind of thought about this week, it's like, as a father, I have to make sure that like, I'm not trying to just escalate my name. Because right now, I'm really, really great in their minds, you know? But not want to make much of me, but to really, both Anna and I corporately, to say, we're pointing them constantly to the Lord. I'm really not the Savior. I'm not the one where they're going to be satisfied. I really should be constantly asking myself, how am I pointing my family to the Lord? So that they would find their hope in what is most important. They would find their joy in what is most important. They would find their value and their identity in what is most important. 
And so I, I think that's just important. I was thinking about that this week is, is that struggle is there. But John three thirty one through 36, I think now the Apostle John is going to comment on the ministry of Jesus. So we see John the Baptist and we see his ministry being one of pointing to Jesus and him making sure that Jesus is the one that is exalted above all. Now in this section, I think the Apostle John is going to kind of comment on his ministry and help us maybe understand even a little bit further what has just been presented about what John the Baptist kind of said. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is uh, of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. John has just kind of basically just said, and I think that's something all of us have to say, unless you're just as just crazy, you think you're awesome and you've visited heaven and come back, you know. Like we have to all say, like there is a level of our understanding that is limited. Like we, we don't fully grasp, John didn't even fully maybe grasp all that he even said. But it, it's very powerful picture here where he is saying, listen, I am a man of the earth. I am but dust. But Jesus is from heaven and he came down. Jesus knows everything. He is going to help us. He is the full representation of God. To see Him was to see God. He and the Father were one. He had a complete communication with Him. All that He knew, everything. He, was, he had all knowledge and wisdom. And so when He spoke, like He is the Supreme One. You have to see that and understand that. Like He's the one that you want to listen to. It's, it's, it's one of those things where John was even speaking of that, like where he said, I can like call you to repentance and put you in the water. But I can't do what Jesus is going to do. He is going to bring about this, this new birth inside of you. He is going to usher in an age where the people of God will know their God. He is going to truly cleanse he is going to truly awaken. He is going to truly do a work in your heart. Jesus comes revealing heavenly things. Now here's what's interesting. But no one's accepting his testimony. People would rather attach themselves to something earthly than heavenly. But really, what we've seen in chapter 3 is the only way to understand the heavenly is for heaven to be birthed in you so that you could see spiritual things so that Jesus could be to you uh, something more than just a great teacher so that he could tr- you could truly see him for who he is verse 33 and 34 whoever receives this testimony sets his seal to this that God is true for he whom God sent utters the words of God for he gives the spirit without measure really by it's a way of saying by accepting jesus testimony as to what he has seen and heard the believer is certified that god is truthful not just that jesus is truthful but that god is it's a way of saying i am trusting in god and jesus you can't say some people might say well i trust in god but i don't know what you're talking about with jesus what he's saying is when you put your trust in him you are putting your trust in god god is by the spirit revealing to you through jesus who is the eternal son of god the truth And to believe in Him is to believe in the Father and to set your life on that. That is the thing that you, that's the only hope you really have. 
Jesus is displaying the fullness of the Spirit's power in His words and works. And when you say He is the Christ, when you are trusting in Him, you are also trusting in the Father and you're saying, God, you are true, you are right, and we believe you. Verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. That is, God gives the Spirit without measure. He has given Jesus everything. We're going to see Him do that in in all aspects. The whole earth is Jesus. Heaven and earth is Jesus's. Jesus owns everything. He has everything. He is the one who the Father loves and has entrusted all things to Him. And so there's a way of John coming alongside what John the Baptist said and said, like, listen, John the Baptist, it was true what he said. And I'm telling you, you hope in Jesus. If you don't, there is no other hope. Notice what verse 36 says. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There are two basic positions you can take. Two. You can believe in the Son. That is, you can put your trust in, you can hope in, you can rely on Him, you can see Him as the Savior, or in an act of unbelief, you can disobey Him. You can reject His rule over your life. The results... One gains eternal life. The other one stays in their sins. You know, one of the things that John will say in John 17, 3, he says, and this is eternal life that you may know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not just that you go to heaven, but that you know God and Jesus. Eternal life is experiencing being reconciled to God. It is to be, instead of alienated and separated, to be reconciled. We are reconciled to God through His Son. And we know that we will have eternal life because we are trusting in Him. Now let's talk about this real quick. I think it's real important just to see this. It says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That means that someone that is not trusting in Jesus now, the wrath of God is on them now. It's not just that they're awaiting his coming wrath. They are living under his wrath. Now, the fullness of that wrath will be on display later. But in the present, they are under the wrath of God. The end of Romans says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who have suppressed the truth about Him. It's one of those things where man in his fallen condition is under the wrath of God. And if he does not turn in repentance and faith towards Jesus Christ, he will remain under God's wrath and he will experience His wrath Throughout all eternity. So what about you? I mean that's a big question. What what do you do with this? You you may say. uh, Well I've got all that handled. I mean but have you really trusted in the Lord? Are, Are you one who has truly trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say he is my chief treasure. To see him exalted. 
It is the most exciting thing in my life. To see His name known, that's the most joyous thing I could think of. To see my life being hidden behind His and to present Him in all of His glory. That's what I long to do. Do you see that in your life? Do you see that John the Baptist kind of attitude of humiliation where you're saying, I must die. I must like just lay aside myself. He must be exalted. Do you see Jesus as the only hope? Is that what you are hoping in? Do you know that if you do not believe in him, the wrath of God remains on you, not only in this present life, but in the one to come? Do you understand that those around you, that those around you who do not accept the Son, they are under God's wrath and curse now? There's something for us here where we've got to stop and consider John, the purpose of John's writing so that you may believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. And part of that means that we, like John, the Apostle John, and John the Baptist, should long to go and share that with other people. We should not be ones who are silent about it, but rather ones who are proclaiming to people everywhere, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. To reject him is to live under his wrath that you're already experiencing and to face a coming wrath that we don't even want to mention the horrific nature of it. I don't think that we should ever stop as a people like reminding one another that we have a great privilege and responsibility to make Christ known. And I hope that you and I will all do that more clearly Um, even this coming week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you give us a greater desire to love and cherish Jesus, to make him known, to be forgotten, but him exalted, to be known as people who sacrifice their lives in service to the king, to announcing that not only has he come, but he will come again. In Christ's name, amen.